Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by online marketing expert Kim Barrett. Kim is the founder of Your Social Voice, an online marketing and lead generation agency serving experts and small business owners. He started marketing 10 years ago and has worked for many different types of businesses, including accounting firms, IT companies, and grain trading companies, where he focused on growing their business's profitability with better marketing strategies. Using his expertise with online lead generation, Kim took his agency from zero to $100,000 a month in sales in under a single year. He is now an international best-selling author speaker, and trainer. He's taught marketing around the world in 10 different countries and for 20 different industries, helping many businesses grow to six and even seven figures. Today, he's joining us to share some tips and tricks for how you can generate more leads with less effort in your business using online marketing. Kim, thank you for joining us, my friend. How are things in the land down under? They are awesome, beautiful weather, and thank you so much for having me, Daryl, as well. Yeah, no, it's an honor. It's a pleasure. We've got a lot of ambitious uh, people in our audience. I mean, obviously, everyone here, they're listening to these calls because they're trying to grow their profits. They're trying to figure out how to rein in their teams. They're trying to figure out how to get out of the feast and famine or how to automate things. I mean, you know, how do we help more people and how do we reach more of our, our, our main customers? So with you, your skills, your expertise is very much in line. And I know they're really looking forward, really looking forward to hearing it. So, uh, but when I, I always like to ask people at the beginning, kind of how they got started, because none of us ever were really born into this. We all kind of came to it some way, shape or form. And we had to develop skills and, and habits and just, and along the way. And so how did you get started? Were you always an entrepreneur Um, or... I think I was always somewhat of an entrepreneur. So, I mean, I always um, tell this story. It's like when I was younger, um, Pokemon just come out. and Everyone at school was going crazy for Pokemon. And I found out that you could get it on the computer. And then I, um, I had a, my dad used to have all lots of stuff. He used to put stuff on the floppy disk and stuff like those little three-and-a-half-inch floppies. So I pulled those out and started downloading Pokemon onto this floppy disk and then selling them at school for like $5.00. Um, and I think I was like seven and I made like $200 in a week and I was just like, wow, this is cool. I was like, I want to be in business. I want to be a business person. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> so ever since then, I kind of always had little things I started doing where I was seeing how I could, you know, leverage myself and, and, and other people and other people's skills and things like that as well to, um, enable me to make a, a profit and grow a business. And obviously those people also helped as well. So it's always a win-win for people. Right, 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 right. That's something I always say. I think that business, my personal philosophy is business is about solving problems for people. Uh, problems are market, not demographics, not psychographics. It's something I learned from one of my mentors, Gary Bensavenga. And I think it's really true. And I always use the example of newspapers. They forgot the problem that they solved for people was delivering timely, relevant, and important information in a convenient format. And they lost sight of that. And they thought they were in the, in the business of delivering wads of paper with advertising 
and so they got decimated by technological advancement. And so I think what you said is really, really on point. It's about helping people and helping people in whatever way that's your, your superpower and then trying to help as many of those people that you can, right? I mean, I have some people... I was I was I train at a CrossFit gym and I I love those guys and they have a great school and or a great gym and they're finally starting to come around because earlier in the in training with them I would talk about like hey you guys know what like you know just so you guys I don't know if you guys know or not but I help grow businesses for like a living and um, you know and I tell but but it was almost like they were adverse they're like well we're not trying to grow too fast and we don't want to get too many customers and some people have like a an anti growth mentality have you ever encountered that with like any of the clients or people you worked with like they're afraid of you know getting too many customers too big too fast is that a legitimate concern or what's yeah. your opinion <laughs> it isn't because I think as well though people think like you're just gonna you're just gonna come in like the same situation you're just gonna come in and suddenly my business is gonna like triple in size in a week or something like that obviously you you know you, you help with growth but it's not that it's it, obviously sometimes it can be exponential but it's not like that like mm-hmm. I had the same thing I trained I train at a boxing gym and they have an amazing offer which they don't even promote <laughs> in their gym. So they like unless you kind of just figure it out, it's not even promoted in the gym or anything like that. I went in there and I was like, I help businesses market, and so they can improve their profitability. Um, so would you? Know, this is an offer that you should be telling people about. And they're like, Nah, you know, not really at the moment. You know, we're we're pretty full. Some days it's quiet, some days it's full, but you know, we're not really worried about that at the moment. I was like. <laughs> Come on, guys! Like seriously, we've got to sit down and have a proper conversation here because this is ridiculous. <laughs> right, and that's and that's something that honestly, like, you have a debt to society, and this is this is like real. Like, if I had the cure for arthritis, it would be selfish of me to not share it with everybody, everyone in the world suffering from that problem. It would be selfish of me because there are people who are suffering daily. So when you go to a boxing club and people are getting into shape and they're improving their lives and they're getting more confident and they're learning how to defend themselves, if that can be really empowering for some people who never thought they could do it. My dad still talks about how amazed he was with how far he could get with just a couple of steps when he did karate when he was a kid. He was like, I was always amazed with just a couple of side steps and like a kick, how I would be like 30 feet across the room. And some for some reason, that's just it's stuck in his mind. And he's, you know, parents, all of our parents of stories they tell again and again and again and so if you do something that serves people and makes their lives better you should want to make this world a better place and leave a legacy and you're only going to do that by serving as many people as possible now it doesn't mean you have to be like my business is going to reach a billion dollars but you know it does mean you want to make sure you're delivering a quality product and service and that you're getting out there and helping every single person you can access that's suffering from that and i think a lot of people lose sight of that and so i agree like even you're saying like come on guys this is ridiculous right you have a great gym you've got a great offer like you know why are you afraid of more people coming through the door um so so maybe because you do a lot of offering uh, a lot of advertising can you maybe talk about what goes into a great offer because you said they have a great offer and they don't even use it what is it that makes a great offer um there's there's always a few things and i always like to think that it's something that there's a couple of like little components I have, I think of when I think of a great offer. Um, number one, obviously, it has to have a high perceived value. Um, mm. Number two, it needs to be a, um, a positioning mechanism, being that number one is either positioning you as your company as you know, like either the experts um, in that, but also positioning the client to want to be able to do more with you. So if they're doing something, it's like, well, you're going to say, well, where the um, 
25th best boxing gym in Australia. If you want something that um, we can work with, we're not that yeah. great. <laughs> so you know, it's like you know, we've trained you know five five Australian boxing champions that are potentially going into the um, that have gone into Commonwealth Games or into the you know into the Olympics. You know, come along for our free session where you can work with us and you know you can have a free session. Then after that, you can if you want to come and join us, we have these packages and other things available and blah blah blah. So they know they can do more, but they can come in at least for the first trial and try something. So I think that's what I always like to say is it needs to be um, something that has high perceived value and needs to be something that's um, and has positioning number one as you as a company they should work with, but number two positioning the client to want to do more with you as well. Mm, right, 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 right. Okay. Sorry, I'm a writer downer, so I always take notes. So what are some of the things when you work with clients, do you see that they often have mistakes or are people not really organized to try to advertise and promote their business? Because a lot of people will say like, yeah, I want to grow my business. But then when you – like I know from personal experience, then when you kind of peel back the curtain, you're like, oh my gosh, like you are not ready at all. And so um, do you know what I mean? Like are there things that clients like prep work clients need to do or is there certain steps and things people should have in order before they even think about advertising their business or yeah it needs to have the capacity to be able to grow like we were just going through um looking at something before and it's like there's three um the guys were, were where i am at the moment were sharing it's like there's three areas of the business you've got marketing operations finance and administration it's like if your operations or your finance administration can't support new clients coming in there's no point because the company will just buckle and, and keel over hmm. and it's like the same thing is that they don't know the numbers if they don't know what the immediate return is of a client. If they don't know what the lifetime value is of a client, like we can help them and they can grow, but you know they might. There's very um, a high chance of them growing themselves into the point where they become bankrupt because they don't know how to manage things effectively. Or on the flip side, going, hey, I can get you all these leads, but if you can't sell, if you don't know how to get people into your product or service, well. I, like you're going to say that I did a bad job and then you're going to say that you've wasted money and nothing's going to happen from there. So unless people have an effective sales mechanism, unless they have an effective operations process, unless they effectively know their numbers, which obviously sometimes we help them with, um, then it's not really effective for us to take them on as a client because we're, we're just basically, you know, we're um, trying to, you know, in, in a bit of a vulgar sense, polish a turd, really, because it's like, I, I can't help with that, you know, it's not going to make it any better. Like, you, it may be better for a little bit, but it's still going to be detrimental to you in the long run. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, any of my loyal fans probably already know the answer to this, but I want to have, if there's anyone new listening to this call, or it's their first time kind of coming to us, you mentioned something that I think is, and know, is really, 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 really important. Um, and you mentioned lifetime customer value, or lifetime value of the client. Can you just explain uh, why is that an important metric, or an important thing for you to know in any business? Sure, because um when, if you know what the lifetime value is, and depending on your position and cash flow and things like that as well, sometimes you can take a hit on the front end to get a client in because one of my clients, their, um, their first sale is only $1,000, but the lifetime value of a client is $10,000. So sometimes if it takes them a little bit more money to get that first sale, they know that on average each client is worth $11,000 to them, so they're happy to spend more. But as well, it allows you to go in and build projection. So it's like based upon this spend of advertising, let's say you spend $10,000 and you get 
10 new clients, well, that's actually worth to us $100,000 in the long run. Um, so it allows you to then know whether or not you want to scale up and also do your projections too because if it's a lifetime value, you know, an average client value is, uh, you know, 12 to 18 months, you can work out and project back the actual bottom line effect that one marketing campaign has on the business as a whole versus just going, oh, well, we only got 10 clients and we broke even on the front end. Right. Well, you know, that's really good. But when you go, well, actually, the value is so much higher than you actually look what you're looking at. Right, 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 right. I love how you said that. It's it's so true. And I even say that, like, if you have a business and it's a scalable model, and what I mean by that is that you're not the one that's polishing the shoes or cleaning the carpets or, right, It's if it's the scalable model where you can take on, you know, especially product businesses make it easy because they're just producing products, right? And mostly, most of the time you can, you can scale product production, um, quicker, especially now with 3d printing. And, you know, if it's a digital product, even better. But the fact that if, if you want to do a hundred thousand dollars in sales a month, if your lifetime customer value, after all your expenses and cost of goods sold and taxes and all that, if your net lifetime customer value is only a dollar, um, and that's including your advertising costs, and you just need to get 100,000 customers to make your $100,000, right? But a lot of people don't know that, or they don't know how to stack it. A great example for anyone listening is Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% on car insurance. I don't know if they have that in Australia, but Geico is a huge brand in Canada and the U.S. here in North America, and it's been years, and I've never heard a single other offer come from that company. And it's not because they don't have business insurance. Of course they do. They have business insurance. They have life insurance. They've got all, they have renter's insurance. They have all that stuff, right? Homeowner insurance, but they never, why don't they ever market it? Well, because like what you mentioned, they've got a really good front end offer and they've got their marketing and operations and finance in place to where they know that that will get us our kind of our lowest common denominator. That is our best offer to put forward. And if we can get someone in for the car insurance, we might break even or lose money on the car insurance, but then we find out they have a business, that they've got kids and a wife, that they've got a house or an apartment that we can insure also. And that's once we get them on the phone and we start asking them questions, then we can open up all this other stuff and we know we'll make the money on the back end. And I really want to emphasize that for some people because a lot of people, they don't really get it that, you know, when you own a business, in a lot of cases, you're in the business of buying customers. If your business is based on word of mouth advertising, you are limiting yourself and it is very dangerous because people, like if a recession happens or anything like that, um, you know, you feel a noose tightening around your neck when sales stop coming in. But if you are someone like Kim who can go out and flip a switch and be able to turn on leads and know you've got an offer that converts, it doesn't matter as much what the economy is doing because you know where to go and get people and you know how that, you know, look, I might lose money on the front end, but I'm going to make it up on the second month. Or, you know, and I would, I would, I would caution anyone unless they're really well versed in this to go past kind of three months, you know, like you want to make your money back ideally in the first month to 90 days. But I think what, like, I love that you mentioned that, Kim, because that's a really important thing. Um, just even for competitive advantage. I had a martial arts school and the recession had hit. This is years ago. A recession had hit and uh, I knew that on average, my average um, student bought $946 worth of martial arts lessons and I only collected $818 worth of that. So I knew a lot of people, right, they would overbuy but then they would like want to cancel or whatever. But I still knew that my average lifetime customer value was $818. So when the economy started going south, I was able to offer $200 in, in equipment for free to new people when they came to 
to join. And if I'm able to advertise that and give that away, none of my competitors could copy me. They all thought I was insane, right? Of course, to me, the net cost was like 60 bucks, right? Because I was buying it at wholesale prices, but the value to the end user was like 200 bucks. And it just gives you a way to compete with your customers that you just can't find any other way unless you know that number. So I know I do, I'm, I'm kind of you know going on a tangent here, but it's just because you brought it up. And I love that you brought it up because it can be so power and revolutionary for a business, especially if they get partnered, partner with someone like you who knows what they're doing online, if they know that metric. But so many business owners have no clue what their lifetime customer value is. So um, yeah, be, be the one that knows it. And then you can, just like you did, you can, you're the one that can take advantage. Yeah, totally. You can decimate a market. You can be like, come to me proactive. They go, I did another interview, um, Ryan Levesque, and he did some work with proactive. And he said, I had heard that it was like six months or eight months. He said it was a year. It was 18 months. It was a year and a half. They lose money on their customers for 18 months before they make any profit because they've been selling that product for 20 years and they know their numbers so well, they're willing to lose money on you for 18 months because once you've used it for 18 months, they know they're going to make X amount on you. And I mean, they do $750 million a year in profit with Proactive, so they got to know something. I mean, it's not the glop, right? You can put the glop, take the glop to a lab and have it analyzed, right? And you can go ahead and copy it and buy it at Walmart probably for, you know, for a couple of bucks. But um, it's the economics of their business and the marketing. So it's such a powerful point um now what else like when you talk about having i love also that you mentioned that the three parts of a business and i've never heard anyone else say this other than a mentor of mine and that every business has uh, you need a marketing part person or department you need an operations person or department and you need uh oh actually you know what you said what you said marketing operations finance and administration Got it. Okay. 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 Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's almost the same. Mine was marketing and product and operations, but then finance gets pushed in with someone. Either you're pushing finance with product or operations, so it's kind of the same thing. But when you talk about not having effective sales in place, what do you do if you get a client and they can't sell? Like, how do you help them with that? Do you just drop them, or do you provide any coaching, or do you have advice to someone who's like who's in that scenario right now? Yeah, so um, what I normally do is we um, we we have a couple of um, like joint venture and referral partners that we'll pass on to. Eventually, we may look at providing that in house as well. Like I have, because I was in the same situation. Like I had a I have a, a I'll say probably a reasonable sales ability, but I bought on a salesperson who had was probably operating at like thirty percent of what I was, and I was like, oh, this is a headache. Like this is a nightmare. How can I train him? So I tried the best to teach me, but if someone who knows sixty percent teaches someone fresh, maybe they get 30% of that. So they're not operating at the same level as me because I only have a limited ability in what I can teach too because of my specialty is marketing. It's not sales. So what I did is I went, okay, I've got a sales and business mentor. Let me find a – I'm sorry, I've got a marketing and business mentor. Let me find a sales mentor who can improve my sales ability but then also mold my sales team into a great team because I just said, look, and obviously there's plenty of free training. You know, anyone – you can just go on, you know, like Grant Cardone's YouTube channel and watch a few of his videos and you can get a bit of sales insight there. Or, But like find a mentor who has that specific ability. I really believe in finding someone who has a particular skill set where they specialize or they know a particular area very, very well and just learn from them and just go, okay, cool, I want everything I can from you in this area. Mm. Um, that's something to do with people. I've just gone, look, I can't work with you. You need to go and speak to 
one of these guys or you need to go and you know come back when you have that ability because otherwise it's not going to be good for either of us Mm, 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 mm. yeah i agree so for you and your business i mean obviously in the intro i talk about some of your successes but i know everyone in business has ups and downs what were some of the greatest challenges in your business career and how did you overcome them um, I think at the very start was because we went, we kind of went very broad. And like I mentioned before about like specializing, we went broad and said, we're going to start with social, I started with social media management because I wanted to do something in like the online space, Facebook and Instagram and things like that. So I said, okay, let me look at um, social media management. And I got like one very, very small client. And I was like, oh, this isn't how business is meant to work. It's like, aren't you meant to start a business and then you just grow and people just come to you? I was like, oh, okay. It's not actually not how it works. <laughs> so I started and then I was like, how can I market myself? And then I said, well, you know, what is it that businesses really want? And it's really, they want something that they can attribute to growing the business because then they don't care about, or they do care, but they're not as um, worried about the expense that they're having because they are investing in something that is like has a tangible, measurable result. And at the time, three, three, even now, like three, four years ago, people were going like social media. It's like, yeah, we don't need that. Mm-hmm. It was a, of a it was, it was such a like I had to make a pretty like I think it was probably six months in. I had to make a pretty fundamental shift and go, okay, let me focus on social media lead generation or like you know generating client leads and marketing the platform that will generate leads that then attributes to sales so it's trackable, measurable, and they go, actually, I can see the difference you're making to my business versus going, oh, yeah, your Facebook page had 20 new likes this week and your engagement has gone up and there's a little bit of traffic going up. It's like it's not as measurable. So for me, I had to make that. That was a challenge because I was like, yeah, I want to do you know social media management and do all these things. And I was like, actually, this is not good. Like It, it, was, it was good, but I was like, this is not what I need to be doing. This is not going to be profitable or like or scalable to the level of profit I want to get to. Right. So how do you, how do you do that? How do you trace that? If I'm someone that's got I got a LinkedIn page or I've got an Instagram account or a Twitter account or a Facebook account, how do, how do you do that? Because I still see people doing that even to this day. They're like, like my page, and then I'll I'll be sure. All right, I'll, I'll bite. I like their page, and then and then yeah. what? Well, because that's exactly why we got out of it. It's like it has to have, and I, I, I did a video on this just the other day. I call it like the yellow brick road. There has to be a path for them to follow. So otherwise, it's like you're generating this interest and track, but for what purpose? So for me, uh, I, I stick to where I can do paid advertising because I know I can track it and measure it much more. So it'll be if I drive likes or people followers to Instagram or Facebook, it's to build up number one social proof so that they see like especially Facebook because you can see who else has liked the page that you've liked. Uh-huh. So it's building the social pre- proof. But then you also must be driving them to a you know an offer uh, something where they can opt in, become part of your, and obviously you're really amazing at this as well, Daryl, get them onto the email list and things like that where you can then and funnel them into your product or service so then you can go actually, you know, here is actually what we offer versus just going, oh, cool, you know, Kim has a Facebook page and he sometimes speaks about marketing stuff like what's so what unless someone, you know, and I think when we um, had a chat before, we're talking about the levels of awareness that people have. It's like if that's unless they are 100% aware that I need a marketing company to generate me leads, they're not going to come and hit us up. They're not going to speak us speak to us about that. So for the you know the 95% of people that are just in general, they're not searching for the actual thing that they're looking for at that present point in time. They still need to be educated on what, why they need, what, why, how, and basically taking down the funnel so they can become a, a client. Not obviously immediately, but um, once they're educated on what it is. Like we even did a video on what is lead generation because some people go like they don't even know what the word lead means. So we're like 
start educating the audience around that as well because um, especially in, I think, uh, well, I'm from just a small place in Australia, Perth, it's um, even more more so behind some of the other cities as well. So it's just about uh, educating them so they know that so they, they then can take the next step. Mm, 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 mm. Well said. Now I have a question about buying likes. There was a lot of uh, talk... I'd say maybe early last year about click farms and that and buying likes that weren't really real people. Is that still a concern or is that something that's not as much of a concern as it once was? I think most people know now that that's just stupid and it's really a vanity metric. Like the only when if I refer to anyone getting uh, getting or, or buying likes as an actual paid Facebook like campaign based around you know if you want to um, you know learn more about lead generation come like our page for updates and blah, 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 and then we'll try and get people to, to you know, turn on our, their interest in our page so they see more um, more of what we have to say. But that's the, that's the only way we will do it. So you'll still get – it's like we're not buying likes in the sense of going and putting buying 100 likes from Fiverr, but it's actually putting a, a Facebook ad campaign in front of them because we know that if a particular section of the audience that we're targeting like it, and then we, when we roll out our – campaign our actual you know lead generation campaign to the similar market set there's already going to be built-in social proof because you know if they go oh kim likes this daryl likes it and so does pete um well it must be good because they've already liked the page Mm. versus friends like so we build in that little bit of social proofing before we launch it to enable it to be uh, more effective Mm, mm, mm. so do you have any tips for someone who's starting out or struggling as far as I love the yellow brick road strategy um, like again same thing they're getting up and running they're hearing us talk about this they're like well I just invited all my friends to like my page and now what am I supposed to do you know what, what would you recommend to them for sure I mean the the first step is going uh, and I don't ever recommend unless your your friends and things like that are actually interested in what your business has to do necessarily I probably wouldn't actually add them um, purely because uh, you know, you, uh, Facebook kind of picks up as well within the algorithm from my understanding of it, the general populace of who likes the page as well. Mm. So they kind of, okay, if, if we're going to put this in front of anyone, it's going to be similar people because they always, they always sometimes have the suggested pages and things like that on the right side column when you're in mm-hmm. So they'll take from that and go, okay, well, let's just say our, our friend again, Pete, who's over there and you and I like it because we're friends with him, but he's selling horseshoes. Neither of us have a horse, right. and we're going, and we're going, and they're going. Okay, let's let's put this to more people like Kim and Daryl. He's not going to effectively grow his page number one because those people actually don't really, the people that are similar to us don't actually care about his product or service. So it's getting shown to the wrong segment of the audience. So step number one, I, I, I wouldn't be doing it just friends. I'd be going unless it's someone who could potentially be a um, a client or customer right. or some some interest group. There, I would then put that to them. But to start off with, it's you know, you're going to have to do. Unfortunately, Facebook is a paid platform now. It's you know, you get like five to eight percent reach if you're lucky. Most people probably two or three percent reach of whoever likes your page with the content and stuff that you're putting out there. So, um, I would be looking at building the engagement on the page based upon some paid marketing. And you know, there's plenty of free resources. I've got tons on our website. I know there's a couple of um, uh, even Facebook groups. I know there's a couple that you're in as well, Daryl, where you share some tips sometimes, and so a lot of other people do too. And it's finding the capacity of where you can understand the basics and go, okay, let me do one to start off with, and then you know, see if it, how it works. Learn from it, understand it, um, because even if you go long runs, like, look, I don't want to be focused on marketing. I'm focused on selling horseshoes over here. Um, you still need to learn it a little bit, and then you can 
you know, another great takeaway I've gotten from um, where I am at the moment is um, if you don't have to do it, but you have to lead it. So if you can't tell me, oh, Kim, we need to get a lower um, conversion rate because you don't know what a conversion rate is and you're like, oh, we've got people coming in, that's great. But if you don't go, well, actually, you know, talk about before, my lifetime value of customers X, so really our acquisition cost has to be this. I can I can spend as much money as you want to acquire a customer, but if you don't set me the parameters or if we don't have that discussion, you don't know, then it's it's a little bit hard. But you have to have that fundamental understanding of it, the basics, so that and even when I send you a report, if you don't know what CPC means, then you're gonna be like, Oh, this looks really good, but Kim sent me a report saying the CPC is you know, fifty dollars. Is that good or bad? I don't know. Right. Um you will be learning those things so then when you if you do need to bring on someone else so you can just focus you know i truly believe in let, let the baker bake the bread um then you know once that's happened you know then you can pass it off to someone else who's suitable to help grow the business but you have to have the just learn the basics practice you know you, you don't have to spend that it's not like you're buying a radio ad or a tv ad and get started for a dollar with a facebook ad and right. uh, you know and test it play with it a little bit and just see what happens because it is a paid platform now unfortunately but um fortunate for some but you know it, I, I would really be focusing on that learning the basics understand get you know use google chrome and go into power editor play around you don't have to turn thing live but just you know click all the buttons that you can learn it so what about targeting do you have any advice for people that are trying to like okay all right i'm gonna target i'm gonna do this but you know how many should I be targeting, you know, 40,000 people, 5,000 people, a million people, you know, when is my targeting specific enough? Are there any, is there any way, is there a smarter way to do your targeting? How do you know, right? How do you know you're targeting the right people? Again, if you're someone and like you said before, if they don't have an effective sales process or if they're not able to convert leads into sales, which, sorry, that's the same thing. If they don't have effective operations in place, if they're unable to convert leads into sales, if they don't know the lifetime value of their client and they want to just kind of play around on their own a little bit do you have any like how should they get started if they want to go because i know that like paid advertising is really scary for a lot of people and they don't really get that you need to invest in it like you would a sales rep for your company you know you'd pay your sales rep kind of like a base salary plus commission and you'd slowly wean them off that and you wouldn't expect your sales rep to go out and make sales his very first day right but at some point, some point, right. But at some point, you've got to like, hey, at some point, this guy's got to start paying his own way. Otherwise, you kind of cut, cut the, cut the, uh, what do you call it, the umbilical cord. So, but so it's really scary for people too because I've also seen people like you set something and it bills you. You know, you have a daily budget of, you know, thirty dollars or fifty dollars. Some you look and you're like, I spent six grand. What the hell happened? So, is there any yeah. tips or advice for people that you know if they want to play around and just kind of make sure that they're in a good position before they look? and find someone to help them with it or should they just get someone from the start uh depends on their budget if you've got the budget you know start off and you know anyone that um like you know for some some clients come to us they go look we've got the budget i go cool i'm also going to give you part of my like i've got like a small little training program for people on facebook ads as well so look i just want to give you that so you can go through it so you know if i'm doing a good job because you haven't done it before go learn it and then if you have any questions i'll help you along the way but at least we'll get you started um so that's generally what I like to do with people um, that come straight straight off fresh. But as you say, the number one thing with that when you're doing that, if it's the very first time you're doing ads, because I've had tons of people come to me and go, oh, I just got billed for $500, $1,000, I forgot about it. Set an end date to your campaign if you're doing it to start off with. Um, so at least you know if you go away, something happens, 
you know, it stops. So you, and it will tell you on there, okay, your budget is twenty bucks a day, and you know you have five days, so you're going to spend a hundred dollars. It can't come back on unless you go back, turn it on. So you're never going to have that issue. So that would be step one. When it comes to targeting, it is quite weird because um, a lot of people say so many different things. Like some people say you need to have an audience of a million. Other people say it's, it's so much less than that. What I found is if your product is if your product is super super broad, like I know for example the guys who run Digital Marketer, they're like, oh yeah, you got to have a million people in your cold market audience and blah blah. I'm like, yeah, but that's for you who's marketing to the whole world with a with a you know a couple hundred million dollar company. People getting started. You know, I like to recommend, like, I would probably go up to a maximum of 50,000 because most people have a product that is specific to a particular target market. So I normally go with, like, the maximum of 50. The minimum I would have to get decent reach and things like that would probably be about 3,000. So anywhere in that bracket, um, I would be focused on because if you understand your your future clients, your current customers, anything like that, you should be able to get it relatively narrow. Um, and sometimes you have somewhere that, you know, oh, I've got five interests that I want to target, but they're not all fitting in that because I normally recommend just doing one ad set, one one interest or one target, whatever that may be, so you can know the effectiveness of it. But if there's a few to say there's, you know, there's um, someone 500, 1,000, 2,000, like um, different interests, you can group them together because otherwise they're just too small to get enough of attraction. So, but that's what I would start off with because otherwise it's 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 too hard for a big like when you when you're starting out and it's too broad unless you have something that has immediate you know great market responsiveness and you go yeah it hits just hits the nail on the head straight away they're going oh well I, I advertise and my audience was thirty million but I'm not getting any clicks Kim I'm like yeah but you're offering a <laughs> let's just say it's a, uh, a men's uh, Star Wars underwear to the whole of the world right. Um, you know, something like that. It's like, how about you just target men, you know, 25 to 35 who are interested in Star Wars as opposed to going everyone everywhere and it just is a much, you know, too broader audience and then they have, um, they, they don't get it right because if that target's off, it just it just messes up the whole, the best um, offer. But if you're putting it in, as I say, if you put men's underwear in front of women and that's, maybe they're buying for their husbands or something, they're probably not going to buy it um, because it's not necessarily exactly what they want to be purchasing at that point in time or seeing on uh, social media either. Right. Right, 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 right. Yeah, okay. Those are great. That's some great tips and great advice. Is there any low-hanging fruit right now? Like, is there? I mean, uh, the you... thing, what I would say with low-hanging fruit for people is going every, when anyone bounces off something and or anyone goes away from it. The traffic there generally is pretty cheap, and I've been telling a few people this, so I'm assuming it's going to be increasing the cost for me. But <laughs> as, as, uh, it doesn't really matter. But I'm everyone was going. Um, never advertise on the right column. Don't advertise on right column ads. No one's doing them. Um, they're not really effective. You know, the price isn't that good. But now, because everyone, I always will split test everything, now that when people have gone away from right column ads, the traffic there is cheap because no one else is advertising on it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I've got no comp- like, well, not no competition, but the competition is lower and I'm getting it there. Plus, as well, it's someone I know if it's a right column ad now because so many people are on their phone, it's cheaper, but I'm guaranteed to have a person on their desktop clicking on it. So it's cheaper than a normal desktop newsfeed ad. Mm-hmm. It's I know they're not on the phone. I know they're on their computer, and it's cheaper than what I would normally be paying because someone on the computer is a lot easier to go through links, you know, put in their details. It's mm-hmm. somewhat simpler than a tiny phone. So depending on the audience that is anyway. But so I've just gone, okay, cool, well, I'm putting a bit of money into right column ads now because everyone else went away from them. And then, you know, I'm sure people will come back and test other things and bounce around, but that's what I've been doing to try and get 
just it's going to, it's a cheaper and uh, sometimes more effective place to advertise. Do you avoid mobile marketing, or do you only target mobile phones for certain things, or? Certain um, for certain people in certain demographics, like one of my clients works with people um, predominantly under the age of thirty-five. Like ninety percent of their traffic was coming from mobile anyway, so all their campaigns are predominantly um, optimized for mobile. And you know, we still I still like to test sometimes the desktop because you know sometimes we'll pick up you know ten conversions at half the price of mobile. There's not as many people on the desktop, but we still pick up a few conversions there. So I always test it, but some clients also um, mobile specific than others and then some clients we do predominantly just instagram ads for them so obviously that's uh, automatically has to be pretty much on the mobile anyway so yeah so if you're doing mobile ads are you doing mobile ads to sale or are you doing mobile ads to uh, like a lead form and then following up like with phone sales We've done, we've done both. It depends on the client and the product or service and the audience. Like obviously, with retargeting and things like that, generally we can go straight to a sale um, depending on like the funnel that they've gone through. Most clients, it's just going to their a lead. Yeah, they're going to a landing page, filling in a, in a, in a form um, or sometimes you know using the new um, – again, Facebook's got the new lead ads out as well. So um, sometimes they're just filling their details straight in Facebook and doesn't have to go anywhere else. Right. Now, you mentioned Instagram. How does that work? Is that like Google? I mean, it's all images. So is that like Google, like Google Display? Is you using banner ads there, or it's got to be? Um, it's pretty much native to the platform. So what I found produced better results is, let's just say that I was having like uh, you and I was selling something, a, a photo of you and I together, almost like a selfie style, not high quality produced, you know, um, banner ad style where you go, like, oh, this is a really professional image the more native photo um, or image is working better than a super high glossy professional looking image and things like that. It just um, people obviously they, they see it and they like it, but I'm finding more sales come from the more natural, like as if you were still scrolling through the feed and it's just another image in there that is having better um, traction. I've found than um, the high highly professional, like the same as what you'd run for like a, a top quality Facebook or Google display ad Um that's, that's what I found it to be at the moment. It could change, but at the moment, um, it's that's what I've found to be working the best. So with Instagram, though, are they clicking the image and that sends them – like are they clicking the image or yeah. is it a link in the description or – Just below the image, there's a call to action button similar to the Facebook app. Okay. So um, if you basically – if you hit the image, it's basically the same as a double tap. You're still going to – you would just like it. But then directly below that, there's a, um, a call to action button so you can have you know uh, download now, register now. Uh, sign up now, whatever it may be, and that directs them straight to then obviously the landing page. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Now, is that a cheap, like, is that a good place for people to go, or is that still a bit of the Wild West? Is it, you know, is that low-hanging fruit to try Instagram? Because that's, <clears throat> that's fairly new, isn't it? That's not something that's been around for, I don't even think that's no. been around for a year yet. No, well, in Australia, at least, it's only been out since September last year, um, so it's still only a few months old. Um, if you have, like, obviously, you know, we're talking about beginners, but if you have a little bit of experience, you know how to use Power Editor and stuff like that, I would say play with Instagram. If you're brand new, learn Facebook and Power Editor first because that's the platform that you run it through. So once you understand that, then you can just basically mirror across and go, okay, you know, what sort of image do I want to use and things like that once you understand the basics and how it all works. Because if you don't understand how Power Editor works, how to do your targeting properly, how to set all that stuff up, then you're not going to have any success with 
Instagram because Instagram is all run through the Facebook Power Editor. And is there – I know that Facebook has been tightening up on what they will and won't permit. Like you can't promote supplements on Facebook. They don't like any dating advice. They don't like any sort of biz op stuff or, you know, you have to be careful with what you, what you use if you're any sort of business service. I know you have to be careful about that. You can't make claims. They don't want any mention of money or dollars, I believe. Um, is it the same with Instagram? Is it not as tight or as lenient? As, did what I just say, is that wrong? No, no, that's, that's, you're spot on there. It's exactly the same rules. Because it's run through the Facebook platform, essentially same rules, like 20% text, um, basically everything identical. So anything that you wouldn't do in Facebook, again, don't do in Instagram. And is it better to send traffic off of the platform? I've heard of some people saying that you should send, like, Facebook has this new thing, lead ads, right now, where people don't even leave Facebook, right? They just see the ad, they click it, and it just sends their info to you in a, in a spreadsheet with all the, I guess, I don't know because I haven't done it yet. I want to get going with them. But it's supposed to, like, if you know, if you want their birthday even, you know, like they see what they're sending yeah. you, but they don't have to enter it. Um, is that, yeah, is that have, cheaper or hmm. better to keep them on platform versus sending them off? Or what do you think? At the moment, it's cheaper because Facebook's pushing it. They want to test it. They want to get enough data through so they know what's happening as well. But what I have found is because it because you don't have to enter the information, I, my personal experience, some clients have had different experience, but my personal experience has been that the lead quality has decreased because they don't know what they're clicking on. Sometimes when you ask for extra information, like I ask sometimes for their business website and stuff like that, adding more, the more questions I've added, the higher the quality quality of the lead. Because if you just go name, email, phone number, and it auto-fills, mm-hmm. it's like when we speak to them, they're like, oh, like, oh, I just clicked the button. I didn't really know. Like, I don't even know what I'm speaking to you for. Nah, no, thank you. Versus when I go ask questions, I add my, some of my own custom questions, like are you marketing on Facebook currently? What's your business website? How long has your business been in business? Adding in those extra questions has increased the quality. So I think for that to be effective, it does work. But you need to make sure you add in a couple questions that are not auto filled, so that they have the like the buy in essentially. Because the other ones I've found where it's just like name and phone number, click um, hasn't been that good a quality, but um, uh, as as good a quality as the old school landing page. Versus now I've added in a couple more questions, the quality has increased somewhat. Do you know I actually can speak to that with personal experience because that is so 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 true. I was doing a, cli- a campaign with a client. We ended up doing a few million dollars with it and we had an, our control registration page was two fields and two drop downs. We had actually a buddy of mine, David Bullock, he's a brilliant brilliant programmer, amazing coder, and he's such a stand-up guy. Um, he did a split, <clears throat> he did a version of that page, <clears throat> excuse me, and he did some coding on the back, so we didn't need the two drop-downs. So we had two less fields on the form, and we got 25, 20 to 25% more opt-ins on his version of the page than the previous control, but half as many people bought that came through yeah. his version of the page. And that's really important because it speaks that when you're doing all this testing and tracking for you listeners, it's really important. It's hypercritical. You always track everything through to the sale. Because if we had just been looking at those front-end metrics, we'd be like, oh, we're getting 20 25% higher opt-ins. Yeah, like, yeah, right? And then charged <laughs> ahead with that one, but we were actually only getting half as many sales, which is detri- like, that's detrimental. I have another buddy who did the similar mistake uh, with Facebook 
Facebook ads, he his lead to buyer uh, ratio was two and a half weeks, three weeks. So when he got a lead, it was two and a half to three weeks before they would make a purchase. And he was getting really cheap leads on Facebook, and they were converting. So he hired an agency, and these were I'm just gonna say right now, these were not the quality that you are. Like these guys, he I don't, he was. He was coming from a scarcity mindset, trying to get things done on the cheap. It was some, you know, it just wasn't quality. But they were getting him like two cent or thirty cent opt-ins, like you know, it was really like because it was really broad traffic, and he just didn't care. He was like, fill it up because they're converting. He thought, anyways. But then suddenly, five weeks, six weeks later, he realized that none of those leads were converting, and because he wasn't tracking it through to the sale, and he wasn't keeping his metrics on that. All he knew is his business was doing a nosedive. So I just want to. I'm saying this as a word of caution to people because of what you just said. Because I think it's really important that, like what we just said, you do have to test, and when you do test, you want to test all the way through to the sales and you don't want to count something as a winner or loser to you know how it's going to affect your sales um yeah sorry i know i went on a tangent there but i just that's that's really hypercritical and it, and yeah. it you know and it impacts bottom lines and it's scary if you have a business right so yeah exactly because some people go oh you know i've got this funnel that converts or i've got this product or service or um you know my sales guys converting crank the traffic up but just because you're getting more or cheaper leads from a particular process doesn't mean that necessarily that is the highest conversion rate and sale rate. And you just, as you say, if you do that and, you know, your um, your product life cycle or your, uh, your sales cycle is a bit longer and you don't pick up until the end, you'll be in big trouble because you've spent all the money on the on the marketing and you don't have the, the sales coming in to back it up because it's been left too long. Right. So what was some of the best advice you've gotten in your business career? Oh, that's a good question. Um... I think uh, one was always – it's always been one, but it's kind of like um, uh, start with the end in mind basically. Like what you, what do you want to actually achieve like in 10 years' time? Um, and there's a, a great book I read on this as well. And it's like if you wanted to sell your – like if you wanted to potentially have a business that someone would buy, how do you need to be operating in your business every day so that it's in a position that if someone said to you, hey, I'll buy your business or I want to buy your business and they look at it, it would be in the state where they go, actually, this is a great performing business. And like you could obviously say yes or no, but going, well, what systems do I need to have in place? What processes do I need to have in place? Because um, when I got that advice, I hadn't necessarily mapped out the process when a client comes through. I hadn't necessarily mapped out um, the systems and processes that we use so that we can scale the business so that this can come on board. Because if I don't know if I just go, well, I'm, I'm just really good at doing Facebook ads and setting it up and I really do, do, do well with targeting and creating the um, ad copy and stuff like that, but I don't have a process around that, obviously sometimes there is some uh, uh, no, it's just kind of like ability where you just go, oh, I think this will work and, and sometimes it does versus going, okay, cool, what's the logical progression that someone would need to go through so that they could arrive at the same thing? It may not be as fast, but if I was wiped off the face of the planet, could someone's ad still be running and can someone else help run and set them up? Um, that was probably one of the biggest pieces because once I did that, I go, okay, cool, let me actually spend a whole day going, so when a client comes through, this happens, and then once they go to here, we need this to happen, and then when they go to the Facebook side of things, we, um, we want to think of X, Y, and Z things first in relation to their industry to ensure that we have an ad that converts for them and things like that because otherwise um, – yeah, you know, you're, you're trying to row down the river with one paddle. Mm, mm, great tip. I really, I think that's really, really valuable. Um, and again, it's just about being clear about your strategy and what, what success looks like, right? For a lot of people, they don't even know. 
Um, they're really focused on the hurdle, the milestone. They're not really looking at the bigger picture. So uh, that was really good advice. Now, do you feel that you've got habits that have helped you on your path to success? Do you have like a daily routine or things that you feel have helped you overcome challenges or get to success that either you wish you started earlier or just that you, you never want to give up? Um, I think, and sometimes it is not, it is somewhat of a, a negative uh, as well, just because um, it can impact family and relationships quite bad. But I got a really good work ethic when I worked. I used to work at an accounting firm. I was helping um, helping them grow their business division and things like that as well. And at that point in time, the and this was when I was like seventeen, we were so busy we didn't even have a break for lunch or anything like that. We had you know two or three screens going, and we were just banging out work. And um, the 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 whole day the like the intensity of our work was pretty was very 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 solid. Um, like it was not really having any like you have a little break here and there, but you'd just be just be hard at it grinding the whole time. And what I when I went into other businesses and I, I applied that same work ethic, and some days I had a week's worth of work done in a day just because of that ability to go in there. But I have married that across to my business as well. But it is because I have a business that. You know, um, some part of last year we had a home office and then we moved into a new office this year. When I was at home, it would be like I'd be working from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m., go to the gym, come back home, work again till 10, 11, and we got a lot of stuff done. Business really grew because of that, just that work ethic because I didn't really make the distinction, well, actually, now I'm at home, this is break time or anything. It's like I'm in that, like the work switches on and that switch is just, you know, it just runs, 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 runs and doesn't really stop, mm-hmm. which is – um but I've had to uh, adjust a little bit this year to ensure I still make time for date night, still make time for family dinner, still make time for all those other things that um, I have to be more consciously aware of that I have that switch on and just go, actually, cool, that's what, part of the reason why we had the office outside of home because I go there, you know, seven till six or whatever it is, smash, smash it all out there, have that switch on. But when I go home, then I can – I don't ever really turn it off, but I can at least dial it back because I know I've got I've had my essentially work day in inverted commas, um, and then I can reel it back in versus just going, you know, uh, all the time at home. Mm, I think that's I think that's good. I think I like what I like about what you said is just the the necessity to let your let yourself have a life, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a catch twenty two because uh, I did another interview with Alex uh, Sheffrin, and he's a great guy, and he's all about the entrepreneurial personality type. And he was really for at least me, and it hit the nail on the head where he said like entrepreneurs are momentum based beings, and we kind of start to freak out almost like an, a wild animal or like a pet if you try to trap it and not let it move. Like if you ever like yeah. wrap a cat in a towel, like it starts freaking out, right? Because it wants to like, let me free, let me move. So entrepreneurs were momentum-based beings, and so we need to keep momentum going, and so that's part of why we tend to be such hard workers. And it's true. I mean, Elon Musk says, you know, outwork your competitors. If you're putting in 80-hour weeks and your competitors are putting in 40-hour weeks, in six months you'll have done twice as much as they've done. You've gotten twice as, you know, made twice as much project progress. But that being said, you know, I also have a friend who went to Cuba this summer with this guy, like a group of guys. And these are older guys. These are like 50, 60 year old guys. And, you know, about eight to 10, eight to 10 of them went to Cuba. And, you know, they did the guys' weekend thing and then they all come home. Well, two of the guys that went there had just sold their company. They built it. They've been running it for like 35 years, 40 years. One guy had a wife, three kids, went home to his family, right? Right before the holidays. The other guy, he was the patriarch of his family. He was, he was the, like, he was the oldest 
oldest living member of his family. He had no wife, no children, no close relatives, and he went to Peru and hung himself in his hotel room. Now, they had just sold their business for like five or six million dollars. They walked away with a couple million each in their bank accounts. And that's where I think at the beginning of the conversation, we started talking about how business is really about helping and serving other people. And I love what you're saying is like by giving yourself the, the, the ability to go out and leave your phone at home and leave work at home and have a date night with your girlfriend or your wife or to take time off or to, you know, be okay with not killing yourself working every day. And I think that's because, you know, really there, nobody knows what happens after death. And I think it's really important that you enjoy the life you're living now. And I think if you're killing yourself working all day, you know, you can't necessarily be enjoying that. And you're also not letting other people enjoy you because everyone listen to this, you're a great person. You've got a great personality. You've got a lot of one, like winning, redeeming qualities about you. And it's important you share that with your family and your friends and that you participate in their lives. And I, I just want to emphasize that because I think what you said is really important. I just want to kind of expand on it a bit to kind of explain why it's important. Like it's important that you're there and present in the life of the people that are around you. You need to maybe have clear lines to help you do that. And also the other thing that you mentioned as well, and for me, this was a big one, is to try to have a deadline. Like for me, you know, we're doing this interview late at night, but usually I don't like to work past 8 p.m. because, you know, I got to go to bed and I got to start my next day. And if I just don't have a cap to the day, first, there's no sense of urgency to complete things, right, by a deadline. Yeah. So it just kind of bleeds on. And then you start procrastinating. You're like, whatever, I'll do it. I'll, you know, I'll procrastinate for a half hour and then get back to work. Like, no, 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 have a deadline, have a finish line, have a goal, have some pressure on you to wrap things up and then allow yourself yourself to have a life and unwind and you really do need that kind of breather space you can come back to it with renewed vigor so um so kim you've really brought out some great tips and great points and things that i've hoped i've helped expand on for our listeners i think there's been a lot of value in this call and i hope everyone's been taking notes um this is definitely a call you may want to go back and listen to a second time to see if you missed anything we went through some really great step-by-steps for if you're getting started in the yellow brick road and how big of an audience to target and how to target them and how to get started and whether you should use instagram or other platforms and and how to scale it up and when you know you're ready to bring in outside help and an outside agency because, you know, the another thing I love is if you look up, I'm going to do this quickly, but if you look up the definition of entrepreneur on the internet, it's not the guy who answers the phone and mops the floor and, you know, and vacuums the curtains and, you know, fulfills the service and does the bookkeeping. If you look it up, it says a person who organizes and operates a business or businesses, taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. So that it's, I just love, I don't know about the second part because you don't always have to have a big financial risk, but you know, that's, that's a different conversation, but I love that a person who organizes and operates a business or businesses. So you have to organize that. So at some point you may want to consider bringing someone like Kim on board and to work with your team because there's only so many hours in the day and you can only do so much. And for some people listening to this, if you feel you can't scale your business and if anything that we said scared you, we're like, you know, add another hundred clients to your roster every month. You're like, ah, I couldn't handle that. You know, then maybe you need to look at hiring some other people and look at becoming an enabler of other people so they can shine and they can develop their skills and they can learn how to help other people too. So, um, but I'm on a tangent. Kim, what are you working on right now? What are you excited about? You know, what's really kind of tickling your fancy? I don't know if this is the right term, but what's got you excited these days? Yeah, because well, we just got into a new office. So at the moment where like, um, you know, I'm enjoying the fantasy of building out like a google a Google-type office. It hasn't really 
so far it's just deaths in computers so we haven't really got that far <laughs> but it's um that's kind of really got me uh uh, excited doing that because now we've got the capacity to take on more clients and do more fun things and um, as well as doing um, we've got a, a few cool um, speaking engagements lined up this year as well so a bit of travel and fun so that's all um, really exciting and you know getting as you say like trying to make sure that I uh, step into that entrepreneur role and having the team built out so you know sometimes I feel a bit guilty it's like I'm over on the east coast of Australia at the moment for four days and like are the guys even going to go into the office are they just going to work at home what's going on and it's like I, I want to get to the stage where I go uh, this is all sorted so that's the exciting part got it got it got it got it well it is the exciting part and progress momentum and growth that's as entrepreneurs it's what we live for right so that's pretty awesome now if anyone's been listening to this and they really liked what you talked about they like your feel they like your vibe they have questions or they may want to even kind of you know sit on the phone with you or someone from your team and talk about doing business what's the best way to reach you how to contact you how do they just get on your list if they want to kind of hear more info from you Sure, definitely. So our website is yoursocialvoice.com.au. We've got a couple of like, reports and um, a few new trainings we're uploading there. That's all free. You can check out. And then if you want to chat to us on Facebook um, or even I've been really pushing the Snapchat lately. I've been told, you know, hit Snapchat. So Real Kim Barrett on Snapchat. Yeah, and uh, uh, facebook.com forward slash Real Kim Barrett on um, on Facebook too. And I've got a Facebook group called K-Bombs with Kim. So as well, Daryl, if you're on Snapchat add me up so we can chat um, <laughs> yeah i will that's awesome so yeah so yeah pretty much website um pretty much every platform my handle is real kim barrett and then um we've got a, a facebook group called k bombs with kim as well where i share stuff i mean every friday we do a, like a facebook q a little webinar as well that's free for everyone so uh, hit me up on any of those platforms and more than happy to speak to everyone that's awesome well, Kim, I appreciate you and your time today and for coming here and sharing with our listeners. We gave a lot of great uh, what to do and even how to do it, um, and I know there's a lot of value in this call. So just thank you again, and I just appreciate your time. I know you took a time out of a conference that you're at to come and speak with us. So just thank you, and I, I'm sure I speak on behalf of all the listeners when I just say thank you for your time. We appreciate it, and I just wish you and your loved ones all the best. No worries. Thank you so much for having me, and same to you. You've reached the end of our interview. Now first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better. And your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. Uh, you're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. 
That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.